0: Hi. Good morning. And it's it's good to be back with our church family. Uh, I've been away for the last month. Uh, did some traveling for work to Australia, and then I was in Canada with family. And it was just it's and I, and we came back last uh, Saturday or last Friday. So it's it's good. To, you know, we had a, a week back and another week before before school gets up and going. Uh, but today we're gonna be continuing our series in James and we're gonna be specifically talking about discernment and decisions. Discernment and decisions, one, it's one of those things that we have to wrestle through every day and, and we might make discernment, have, do discernment or, and make decisions uh, based on our will, what we thought, what we were taught. I mean, do we have a biblical framework for discernment and decision-making? So that's what we're going to be walking through uh, as we look at the end of James chapter 4. All right, so let's pray, and, and we'll continue on. Thank you, God, that you love us, that you love us so deeply, that there's nothing that we can ever do to make you love us more. There's nothing that we can ever do to make you love us less, but your love is the same. It's unconditional. We do not deserve it, yet you freely give it. Thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus, a magnificent display of your love to live, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead so that we may have life. So show us how to follow you today. Show us how to follow you in all the decisions we need to make. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, this summer, uh, in, in the next month, I'll be celebrating 11 years with my wife, Christina, and I remember about, <laughs> thank you, I don't think that's like worthy of clapping, but uh, <laughs> maybe 25, yeah, okay, but 11 years, and about 12 years ago, when we had got engaged, uh, there, there was this moment where it, we were both entering, it was the summer before our final year of college, so we did, we did get married pretty young, and uh, we, I, I proposed, I got the blessing from her parents, I got the blessing from my parents, and I proposed, and she said yes. So it was about a month before school was going to kick back up again. So I went back home to Vancouver, that's kind of north of Seattle, and spent a couple weeks there before moving back out to Ottawa, which is kind of north of the state of New York. And one of the things that my dad and I did growing up is we'd golf, and I'm I'm right-handed and he's left-handed, so at the driving range, we would kind of coach each other, face each other, and that was just one of those things we did together. So when I came back to Vancouver, we we obviously went golfing, and, and before going out and hitting 18 holes, we we went to the drive, we wanted to go to the driving range a few times. So I remember going to the driving range, you know, driving there, having a lot of fun. And and I remember it it was just, it's like ingrained in my head because of what happened. But going home, there's like this hill that takes about a minute. It's about that steep. And it takes about a minute to go up when you're going like 55, 60 miles an hour. So we were going up that hill and he was like, son, I want to talk to you about your wedding date. And I was like, what? Like there's nothing that in our conversation, and, and there's no way that I would have ever anticipated him wanting to bring up what he brought up, right? It completely came out of the blue. Yet, while we were driving home from a great time, you know, golfing, you know, doing hitting hitting some balls, he was like, "Son, I want to talk to you about your wedding date." And I was like, "What, what are you talking about?" And he's like, "I, I think you should postpone it because we had set it for the summer after we graduated." And he was like, "I want I want you to postpone it." Two, three years from now. <laughs> and I was like, like, it's one thing, it was like a month or three months, but three years? You know, <laughs> I was like, there's totally out of the blue. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you even bringing this up? You, you said yes you said yes to getting married, and you said yes to all same and he's like, yeah, but you know, as I was thinking about it, I really think you should wait three years, and as I asked him why, he was like, well, you know, in, in Korean custom, you're not supposed to really get married before your sisters get married, and I had three older sisters that weren't married yet, and I was like, well, I, yeah, I'm Korean, but, like, I didn't grow up there, <laughs> like, that's your culture, and I'm Canadian, right, it's like, yeah, I can speak a little Korean, but that's like, I don't, I don't, I don't receive that part of the Korean culture, right? And he was like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you know, you got to wait three years and, and the rest of the trip home. I, I, I didn't even know what to say back to him, right? Because I'm an internal processor. So I didn't, I mean, obviously I'm saying that now, but I didn't, I was just kind of really silent. It was just all going on in my head. And I was like, what am I going to tell Christina? What am I going to tell Christina? Have you ever felt tension, in decision-making, attention to do this, attention to do that. Have you ever tried to, you know, as, as you're making a decision, where, have you ever felt this tension where, where you were in a situation where the answer was yes, but not yet, but also no, but not never? Right? It was, it was yes, but not yet. No, but not never. Now, have you ever faced a situation like that? Now, obviously not the whole odd Korean cultural dynamic thing, but a, a situation. And if you do, bless your heart, because it was hard. Uh, <laughs> but a situation where you're trying to figure out where you're, where, where, whether you should trust God and wait, or whether trusting God meant that you should act and move forward. Have you ever felt that tension where maybe you were in a situation where, where you made what seemed to be a wise decision to move forward, only to face opposition after opposition after opposition? Or alternatively, a situation where you, where you made seemingly a wise decision to say no and to wait on the Lord, but after making that decision, everyone around you just kept on moving forward. And you felt like you were being left behind? In other words, have you ever made, have you ever felt the tension that often accompanies decision-making? Now, this tension that Christina and I felt over the next several months, we were trying to figure out, okay, should should we just go and get married the next year because everyone had said yes and we had ordered. you know those, I mean, I know they probably don't do this now, but there used to be like these books you could buy that would like help you wedding plan. I think everything's on Pinterest these days, right? Uh, but was like this book, this hardcover book that Christina bought and she was like filling out details, checklists and everything that she had to do. And, and it was like, should we just keep on moving ahead? Because we were like a third way planning through the book. Should we just go ahead or should we wait? What, what did the scriptures say about this? And as we were searching the scriptures, we were like, oh yeah, okay, on the one hand, we should, we should honor our father and mother, right? So maybe, does that mean that we should wait? But then on the other hand, it says you should leave in Cleveland. But we're engaged, I mean, we're not dating, we're engaged, so does that mean we get to do that? But is engagement a biblical thing? You know, do you, do you understand what I'm, like, have you ever had a situation where you were like desperately trying to search the scriptures for a black and white answer? And the day you felt like you found the black and white answer, the next day you open up another part of the scriptures and you're like, oh, actually, I don't know anymore. <laughs> right? This is the tension we were feeling. This is the tension we were working through. So in James chapter 4, which is where we're going to be reading at the end of James chapter 4, I wanted to look at these verses starting from verse 13 and, and walk through a biblical framework for decision making. Right. So James chapter 4, we're going to be starting at verse 13, and we're going to, we're going to read through it all, and then we're going to go through it verse it, at a time. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good, and yet not do it. Now that first verse, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a problem. How many of you have said something along those lines, right? I mean, if you've made plans for tomorrow then everyone's hands should have said, yeah, you know, should have, should have gone up. If you've ever planned for a vacation or plan what you're going to be doing this upcoming week or if you even went school supply shopping, you know, I mean, that's you're planning for the future. So the answer should be yes. If you've ever made a budget at home or at work, then the answer is yes, because life is planning and planning is life, right? I mean, it's, it's what it means to be an adult. It, it's what it means to be human, right? It's to make plans, now, if you've never made a plan beyond 24 hours, we call that irresponsibility, right? And you're, you're not yet an adult. Uh, but we know most of all that most of us, even if it's vacation or even if it's, do, you know, scheduling a play date, most of us have planned at least a day out. Now, how do we, as much as planning is a part of everyday life, as we see in verse 13, how do we then reconcile this with what James says in the next verse? All right, let's read it. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, is James advocating here that because we are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes, that we should act like it? That we should just go with the wind? Now, this reminds me of this song that I know there, there are many of you here that would not have been alive when it came out, and including myself. Right, but I do know the song because it has. It's a popular song, and, and it's appeared in many movies and TV shows and all that. And it's the song, "K Right? How many of you know the song "K Sarasara"? Right. So I'm gonna read. I'm gonna try not to sing, but it's gonna be really hard uh, because it's just such a good song. But I'm gonna read through this, and I want you to try to figure out the posture to life. The philosophy of living, the the posture towards discernment and decision-making that this song is advocating for, okay? When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be, right? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Kesarasara Alright So when I grew up and fell in love I asked my sweetheart what lies ahead Will we have rainbows day after day? And here's what my sweetheart said. Let's let's sing it together, okay? Kesarasara whatever will be will be the future's not ours to see quesaras. Now I have children of my own. They ask their mother, what will I be? Will I be handsome? Will I be rich? I tell them tenderly. And then the song goes on and says, right, Kesarah, sera, Whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. So Kesarah, sera, Now is this, is the attitude of this song what James is advocating? Or is that what he's trying to tell us here? To just take life easy because it's going to just figure itself out. To just go with the cards that have been dealt to you because the future's not yours to see. Now, depending on your personality, this can either be stress inducing, right? Or it can be very stress relieving. But the real question we need to ask is not whether or not we like it, it's whether or not it's a biblical worldview. Right? We need to say, is this view that is so pervasive in our culture, right? it's either the case or us or our mindset, or it's the, I'm going to plan every jot and tittle of my life down. Right? What am I going to do? Right? What, what does the Bible say about discernment and decision-making? This is what we need to study and what we're looking at today. Is this what James is getting at? Now, in, in Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 27, Jesus actually kind of gets at this same idea here. Okay, so in verse 25 he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? So rather than wasting time planning for the future and making decisions, should we just not worry about the future because it'll work itself out? Because God is going to make the decisions for us? And what's that phrase that's often repeated in church circles? Just let go and let God. Is that what James is getting at here? Now, it makes a cute little card, all right? It's, it's, a, it's a great message that sometimes at the worst moments we say on Facebook But is it a biblical worldview? Is it? in verse 15, James offers a solution. James chapter 4, 15. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. What does that even mean? I'm sure you've said, well, if the Lord wills, we will go on this vacation. Or if the Lord wills, we will eat fried chicken after church today. If the Lord wills, school may start next week, but I don't know, so don't plan too far ahead. Right? We laugh. We laugh, right? But we've said if the Lord wills, or many of us have said or even we've heard other people say it, maybe not in, you know, a trite of a way as if the Lord wills, we will eat lunch after church today. I mean, but we have at times said, if the Lord wills. I mean, what does that phrase even mean? Now, think about the relationships in your life. Have you ever gone to a restaurant with a coworker and and before, or or family member, or friend, or a loved one, and before they even ordered, you knew what they were going to get? Now, uh, outside of my family, I spend a lot of time with my team at work, uh, where I work at Lifeway. And, and, and with my team, one of the things that we do is we like eating, right? We like, and every time we go and eat together, I know what many of my coworkers are going to order, especially this one guy, right? I know he's only going to order three things. And depending on the restaurant, I know exactly what he's going to order, and I can anticipate it. And even to the point of, I know, like, it's just, it's kind of freaky, right? But it's like, hey, we've spent enough time together. Like, when I, like, we don't share our menus with one another as a team. Like, I haven't told, and he didn't say, hey, these are the things that I eat. It just kind of, I, we've, we can anticipate that now because of the amount of time that we spend with one another. Right? So, The same goes with presents, right? So I was in Australia for work, and and I mean, lest you think, I was kind of relaxing on the beach, and it's winter in Australia right now, and and I was committed to trying to figure out if the toilets flushed counterclockwise, and it was frustrating, because I still don't know, because all the toilets went down. Like, they all flushed this way, so I was like, every toilet, I was like, is it going left, is it going right? Uh, I still, I don't know, I still don't know. Oh, okay, but anyway, uh, <laughs> despite that, there was a day we had off, right? We had one day off, and we went to the market, and, and, and the guy that was hosting us, friend that was hosting us, and I, and I believe he's actually here today, because he's visiting us, uh, he, he was like, well, what are you going to get your kids? What are you going to get your wife? And, and we were, as we were driving to the market, and I was like, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I mean, I knew, like, I, I know what they like and don't like, right? I know that. But when it comes to presents, I wanted to pick out something that was meaningful. So I was like, I I just when I see it, I'll know it. And categorically, I saw a lot of things that I knew Christina and my kids would like. That categorically, if I bought it for them, they would be happy and it would be a great gift. But I said no to a lot of them because as much as they would categorically like it, I didn't think they would embrace it. I wanted to get a gift for my kids that wasn't just, oh, this is awesome. And like five days later, they're like, where'd that go? Right? I wanted to get something that they would cherish, that they would remember. And I couldn't articulate it. I just had to see it. What we're talking about here is the type of knowledge that can be only gained by spending time with another person. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about here? That, that level of knowledge that you just can't articulate or put on your bio, or it's just, a, it's, just, it's just something that comes with time. Now, when James is saying, if the Lord wills, I believe he is referring to biblically informed decision-making that's influenced by... Through a relationship with God. Through a relationship with God. Now, as, so as you spend time with God through the scriptures, as you spend time with God praying, worshiping like we are today, serving one another as Jesus served, evangelizing and being on mission and in community with others. I mean, this is, the, as you are doing that, he is talking about there's a, there's a depth of relationship as it relates to discern, discernment and decision-making that will result as you spend time with Him. Now, He's not talking about James is not talking about a caseira, Sarah mindset where all you have to do is keep the golden rule and everything's going to work out for itself. He's, he's talking about this idea of active obedience, not passive compliance. I'm not talking about hey, read, figure out what you're supposed to do and not do, have a list of rules and and don'ts. Write out case studies and figure out how you should act in different situations. It's it's not what we're talking about here. That's passive compliance. We're talking about this act of obedience that that comes through relationships. So, for example, for Christina and I, one of the things that I love to do to relax is I love to just pop some popcorn... Right, so I pop the popcorn in our air popper, and Christina flavors it like we have this really this unspoken right I'm really good at popping, and she's really good at flavoring and then we we turn a movie on and and the thing is I love watching movies right i i I want to say that on the thirteen hour flight back from Australia, I studied the Bible and read books, but I watched like five movies, okay, so you know full you know Confession there, but I, it's because I love movies, and by the end of it, I was like, I never want to watch a movie again. Like, my brain hurts, right? But, <laughs> right? but I mean, there's this, I, I love watching movies. Not in excess, but just like maybe one, in a while, once in a while. But for Christina, she doesn't really, that doesn't really relax her. She would rather talk, or play board games. I, was, I like talking too, right? But in terms of relaxing, right? I like to kick back and relax watching a movie. Talking and playing board games does not relax me, right? It doesn't, it, but, but watching movies does. So there's a thing that we've, there, there, to, for Christina and I, in our relationship, we've had to learn that when Christina watches a movie with me, she doesn't dread it, she doesn't hate it. She doesn't have this posture of, man, I wish I'd be doing something else. I'm just going to be on my phone and on Facebook or doing this or that. No, there's a sense of her seeing that I find joy and relaxation in this. And because of that, that she then finds joy and relaxation in that as well. Because of that relationship. And on the flip side, when we play board games where we talk, like I remember I came back from Australia and we talked for like five hours We did FaceTime once in a while when I was in Australia, but at the end of the five hours, it was like, wow, when's the last time we've talked for this long? I mean, we went to bed at like 2 a.m. in the morning, but it's just because we kept on talking, and it's been years, years since we've talked like that before, but there is a sense of relaxation and and connection and and restoration of our relationship that happens through that, and because she finds joy in that, I find joy in that. Do you get that? Do you get get this idea that even though something might not come naturally to you, but it's it's through relationship, there's a sense of deeper joy that you can then experience in it. Now, the best way to know God's will, right? We're we're talking about this idea of active obedience. This idea of actively, I'm going to find joy in this. Actively, I'm going to do this because I know this brings joy to the other person to God. But the best way to know God's will is to read what God has said. It's to read what God has said. Is to study how He has acted in the past through the Scriptures. Now, this is not a dry academic exercise, but this is about coming to the Scriptures like you would come have a meal with a friend or or spend time with a friend over a cup of coffee. It's about spending time with God and getting to know Him. It's about as you develop that relationship with God through studying, through reading the Word, through praying, as you do that, you then begin to anticipate how God would act because of how he's acted in the past, you're going to be able to anticipate how he wants you to act in light of how he has already acted in the Scriptures. And then if it's clear from the Scriptures how you should act or the decision you should make, then it's, the, it's your decision, right, what James is saying, it's your decision to then just go and do it. So for example... Uh, yesterday, when I was uh, reading the scriptures, uh, just spending time with God in the morning, like I usually do, I usually read a passage from the Old Te- Right now, I'm reading a, a passage from the Old Testament, uh, like in 1 Samuel, and then a, a psalm, and sometimes I do the New Testament as well. But uh, I, I always like to read a psalm or a proverb in addition to what I read in the Old Testament or New Testament, because the psalms teach you how to pray. Right? And I want to pray not the way that I want to pray, I want to pray the way I, w- I want to allow God's word to be my language. Right? So that's why I, I try to soak myself in the Psalms every day. But when I was reading 1 Samuel 13, and this is not a, a part of the message, but I just wanted to share this with you, something popped out to me. Now, I, 1 Samuel is actually one of my favorite Old Testament books. And I love it because of David, Jonathan, Saul, Samuel, all the all the interactions, the relationship, the leadership, all that stuff. I just love the interaction there. But in 1 Samuel 13, when I read the first five verses, something came up, first four verses, something came up that I actually had to go upstairs and say, Christina, Christina, have you ever thought of this? And I usually don't do that. I don't. But I just had to. And I'd read this passage many times, but I just not realized this. Okay, so I'm going to read it for you. First Samuel 13. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, right, the first king of the Israelites, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. He chose 3,000 men from Israel for himself. 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash and in Bethel's hill country. And 1,000 with, were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. Right? So so far we have Saul who is the king and Jonathan who is Saul's son. Here's the other thing that just popped out to me. Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 42 years over Israel. He reigned 42 years over Israel. When you read through 1 Samuel and you see everything that happened, it feels like it's only been a couple of years. It feels like it's only a couple years since David gets anointed and becomes king, but 42 years. Anyways, that's, that's not the point, all right? So Saul and Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan. And then look at verse three. Jonathan attacked the Philistine garrison that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Okay, so who attacked? Jonathan did, right? So we have Saul and Jonathan. So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. Right? He's saying, everyone, listen to me. And all Israel heard the news. And this is what Saul said. Saul has attacked the Philistine garrison. Who attacked the Philistine garrison? Not Saul. Yeah, Jonathan. Now, when that popped out to me, I was like, what in the world? And I read it over, and I read it over, and I read it over, and I started praying. I was like, God, when am I taking credit for things that I've not done? Lord, may that not, and I began repenting, and I began saying, Lord, may that not be for me, and I began writing out my prayer, right? I've read this passage so many times, but this is the first time it came to me, first time the Lord, the the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to what God had done, which then affected how I should then act in future situations, Right? So there, like we see here, there are many things that are clear in the scriptures, and you don't need to wonder whether you should do it or not, or whether God would want you to do it or not. For example, if you have hate in your heart, you should, that should not lead to murder. Like, and I know that's not something most of you all probably think about on a daily basis. Maybe, maybe sometimes it's crossed your mind with certain particular people, but it's one thing to act on it and for that slight moment be like, oh, I should not be thinking about that. Right? We know that that is not biblical. We know that that is not God-honoring. Yet, when we have hate in our heart, what should we do? What does God call us to do? What he said, well, he says, hey, you should actually forgive that person, whether they deserve it or not. Well, you should forgive that person right? over and over and over again. And then after that, we should actually think, hey, what have I done to result or to lead to the brokenness in the relationship? Because it's never 100% one person's fault. Okay, so uh, how about another situation? Uh, A situation where those moments where you're tempted to gossip. Well, it's clear from the Scriptures that gossip is not of God but of the devil. So when you are tempted to gossip, what if we, at those moments, in those moments, consider how we can replace those slanderous words with words of life? Or what about envy? We know that that is not what the Lord calls us to So when we are flipping through Facebook or Instagram and and that envy comes up or in other situations, what if we begin thanking God for his grace, thanking God for his grace on their life? What about neighbors, coworkers, friends, family members who don't know god who don't have a relationship with jesus well it's clear i mean you should not be praying lord should i share your words with them should i share the gospel with these people who don't know you you don't have to pray about that you don't have to pray about because it says yes right jesus says yes so what should you do when those people come to mind or when you spend time with them well you should pray lord give me the words to say to them Show me how to speak words of life to them. Give me opportunities to share your love with them. Knowing God's will and being able to act on it is a result of spiritual growth of mature, and maturity. And one of the most surefire ways of growing in a relationship with God is by reading your Bible. Now, let's look at these eight attributes here. This is a research project that uh, Lifeway Research has done, and, and these eight attributes, as we'll see, uh, r- result in, are, are there kind of a, the articulation of what maturity looks like, right? So if we get all eight on the screen, we'll actually see, you know, things like Bible engagement, obeying God, and like all of these are, ba- it's basically an articulation of what maturity looks like. Now, if I were to share this with you and, and be like, okay, so go and do each of these things to become mature, it'd be a bit paralyzing, right? Like, it'd be like, well, what am, wh- what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to start? Right? So, as I was writing my book, we were looking deeper into this, and I was like, I was asking the team at Life for Research, I was asking, hey, is there, like, are there, is there one or two things that we can do that'll actually influence all of these? Like, is there that principle at work if we were to dig deeper into the research? And they're like, yeah, there is. There is. It's reading your Bible. And I was like, what do you mean? It, 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 like, you mean studying the Bible? Because studying the Bible does result in maturity. I'm sure many of you can attest. And they're like, yeah, studying the Bible does result in maturity. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. We're saying reading the Bible. And I was like, okay, you mean memorizing the Bible, right? I've hidden thy word in your, my heart, so I may not sin against you. And they're like, yeah, that that does result in maturity, but I'm talking about reading your Bible. Like, what do you mean? That sounds too simple. And they're like, no, if you look at the people who read their Bible on a monthly basis to a daily basis, every single one of these attributes increase the more frequently you read your Bible. And I'm saying, wait, so are you saying that just reading your Bible, like I'm slow, okay? I was like, I was like, "Do, do you mean just reading your Bible? actually helps me obey God, deny self more, share my faith, serve God and others, exercise my faith, seek God, build relationships, and and be transparent? And they're like, yeah, it's just reading your Bible. Think about that for a moment. What would it look like if you were to, we all have these in-between moments, right? Whether it's first when you wake up, we have five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before you go to bed, Do you flip on Facebook or do you want to read the Word? Or how about 10, 15 minutes when you're picking up your kids or you're in transit going to school or coming back from work? Or just those moments when you're in the bathroom? (laughs) Right? Like really, we all have these 5, 10, 15-minute moments. What would it look like if we first turned to the Word? And we began reading, imagine how that would affect maturity, imagine how that would affect discernment, imagine how that would affect the, your ability to make decisions. Now if you've reflected on your life for any amount of time, you'll have to admit that knowing God's will is not the same as doing God's will, right? Like we know a lot of times what we should do, yet it is not the problem of knowing it, it's just the problem of doing it. So it's one thing if you don't even know what God says, right? It's one thing if you don't even, if you, if you if you never even open the scriptures or read the scriptures or know who Jesus is. It's one thing if you don't even know. And that could easily be solved by then reading the word, applying it to your life, being in a life group with one another, sharpening one another's iron sharpens iron, worshiping together. When we worship here, when we are we are being reminded of our identity. We are being reminded that every message we hear in the world, and some marketers say it's over five thousand marketing messages a day. Today, once a week, at least once a week, we are being reminded: Hey, I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what I look like. I'm not who I know. I'm not what I'm not. What I've done. I am a beloved child of God, and we are reminded on a weekly basis as we sing songs, yes, to God, but we are singing songs into our souls, we are singing songs together, we are learning with one another, we are being reminded, yes, through worship, through the study of the word, through being in a life group, through serving, we get to know what the Lord says here in the scriptures and how we ought to live, but it's another thing just to know God's will and choose not to do it. And why do we do this? Why do we know God's word and choose not to do it? Why is there rebellion in our hearts? Well, in verse 16 and 17 of James 4, we see. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. When we know God's will and choose not to do it, we are what we are saying to God And I'm sure you would never verbally say, when you know what God's will is and just decide not to do it, this is what you're saying to God. But I know you probably would never just say, hey, God, you would probably not say this, but this is what you're actually saying through the decision you've made. You are saying, God, I know best. God, I can take care of myself. That is actually what we are saying to God every time we know what we ought to do and choose not to do it. It's like that teenager who doesn't, know the gra- who, who, who doesn't know how much everything costs and decides to run away from home only to return a little bit later and be like, I'm sorry. It's like a recent conversation I had with a recent college graduate living on her own for the very first time. And the comment she made was, man, why is being an adult so expensive? Why are there so many bills? Why can't there just be one insurance? Why are there so many different types of insurance? And all the insurance agents here are like, hey, talk to me. (laughs) Right? No, just kidding. Um, But really, it's this idea, right? It's this idea of, hey, when we know God's will... When we know God's will and we choose not to do it, we are saying, God, I actually know best. I can do it on my own. And we are opening ourselves up. What we are actually doing, we're not just saying something that's arrogant. We are not just saying something that's prideful, that God just says, oh, you're, you're like a teenager. You'll grow out of it. You'll realize. That's not what happens. We are not only saying something arrogant, but when we do that, when we know God's will and choose not to do it, we actually open ourselves up to what we talked about last week. Look at verse 6. God resists who? The proud. The person who said, I know your will, but I'm not going to do it. It says God resists the proud. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on that end. No matter how much I have my ducks in a row, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I don't want to be on that. But that is functionally what we're saying when we know what God's will is and choose not to do it. Knowing God's will and choosing to ignore it, even though it might not harm anyone else, it's actually just as much of a sin as actively harming someone else. Okay, here's the thing as we end our sermon, as we end the message together. If you want to learn how to discern God's will, if you want to learn how to discern those gray areas where it's hard to find a parallel decision in the scriptures, the most important thing you can do, as it says in Psalm 37, 4, is to delight yourself in the Lord, now, earlier on, I opened up the message sharing this story about Christina and i and and how my dad said you got to wait three years before you get married and i don't we don 't have the time for me to fully flesh out the story, but that was August, and from August to march christina and i I wish I could have said that we totally obeyed God, obeyed my parents, but it was this situation where it was like, okay, at one point, we were like, okay, 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 dad, we'll wait. And then a, a couple weeks later, we we're like, no, we're just going to go get married. And then another time, we we're like, no, we're, we're, we're going to wait. I was like, no, and it was like a lot of flipping, a lot of flopping, back and forth. And over those months, the amount of time that we spent digging through the scriptures, praying, fasting, being in community, having other people pray for us, going to this mentor, going to that mentor. We spent so much time trying to figure out what that gray area of a decision should be. And as we delighted ourselves in the Lord, Psalm 37, 4, in March, we actually finally made the decision, okay, you know what, we are going to wait. We are going to lay this down before you, God. There's nothing in my flesh, in my world, in every, anything that would have made either of us want to wait like that. But as we, and, and I'm not saying that if you're in the exact same situation, that's the right answer. That, this is a gray area, but as we spent time with the Lord, as we delighted ourselves in the Lord, not individually, but in community with others, that's what we sense the Lord was saying. So then we gave it up. Well, once again, I don't have time to share the rest of the story, but we actually did get married that summer. The Lord changed hearts. The Lord changed my dad's heart. The Lord changed uh, my grandparents' hearts, which was a part of it as well. The Lord just did a work that we did not expect at all. But it's because we chose not to honor my father and mother. I think there's a part that that actually feeds into it but i think most of all we delighted ourselves in the lord and god changed our hearts and god changed others hearts and if you want to learn how to make a decision that's black and white we've got to read the scriptures and as we're reading the scriptures god will mature you and he will give you the wisdom to know how to make decisions in the gray areas because you are delighting yourself in the Lord. Because Psalm 37.4, when you delight yourself in the Lord, God will give you the desires of your heart. Our, your heart will begin to change as you delight yourself in the Lord. Your will and your desires will begin aligning with God so that what you desire does not stand in opposition to what God desires. So that when we delight ourselves in the Lord and He gives us the desires of our hearts, our desires at that moment will actually be God's desires, which are much higher Deeper, broader, impactful and meaningful than our desires could ever be. All right So if you take anything away from today, read the word. Delight yourself in the Lord. And as it relates to those decisions you need to make, the Lord will do His work. Not in a case arah,arah way, where it's a trite. I' read my five minutes, I'm done. but you're reading you're meditating you're chewing like a chow, like a cow not a chow like a cow chews cud you're meditating you're reading and the lord will begin shifting and shaping your heart and the situation around you amen